Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. I am coming to you from Jean Jacou, which is the mountain venue outside of Beijing. It's the end of the day after the first race of the 2022 Olympic Games, the 15K Women's Skiathlon. Devin and I are here with a breakdown of that race. We're going to try to report back from each race day of the games. We'll see if we can hold to that schedule. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this message. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Boulder Nordic Sport, the industry-leading resource for cross-country skiing equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. If you're looking to tour at a local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sport's passionate staff can help you get the perfect gear for your cross-country skiing experience. Visit boldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country and download a digital copy of the annual BNS magazine. Check out the Boulder Nordic YouTube channel for extensive waxing how-tos. Ski inventory is challenging this season, but Boulder Nordic Sport is receiving new gear every week, including the new floor-free race waxes from Holman Cole and Rody. Check out your options at boldernordic.com. Cool. So we'll just start this like so. First, first Olympic podcast, we have a seasoned journalist, Nat Hertz, on site in Beijing. We have me, still a total bum, sitting in Norway, watching and screaming at the TV like old men do. And um, it's great to see you, man. It's great to see you on your feet. Great to see that you heard. It's great to hear that you passed all those PCR tests so far across our fingers. And um, 15K Skiathlon to start this whole bad dog off. And I thought, you know what? I thought there was uh, some there was some great storylines in the race. At least I thought. What do you What do you? No think? doubt. Yeah, I mean, the, the, to the extent that I mean, I don't know that I have any more great insight into the race itself because I pretty much watched it from the stadium on the on the stadium board and got you know got to feel the blasts of wind and you know be a little close, but you know, watch the racers collapse over the finish line. But you know, everyone kind of got to do that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it. it it seemed like kind of a, a, just a damn good race to watch and um, lots to talk about for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. So like, let's just get right into it. Cause you're, you, you know, we've been texting, man. And like, you're kind of out of step with this journalism life. You're a bit shattered. You got major jet lag and it's been a total, I don't want to say shit show. Cause it's not a shit show. They have things pretty tight, but it just takes a long time. Like, like life takes time at the Olympics. And then with the COVID restrictions, it adds to it. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time. We're going to try and do these every day. So people listening to you don't get, I mean, you're already sick of me. That's a given, but you don't need to be more sick of me. So, but let's get right into it. It's like, to me, to me, the, of course, the story of the day is eight years is the last, it's been eight years since we saw Teresa Yohug race when she came second in the 30 K skate in Sochi eight years, dude. And there was a lot of hype for this race. Frida Carlson has been so good in period one and Frida has been in the, like the Norwegian and Swedish media talking mad shit going like, <laughs> but as it better be scared, like I'm in the best shape of my life. As a veteran, she's like, well, oh, that's cool. We'll just see how this goes when the racing happens. And um, I mean, what can you say? T- Teresa skied a tactically brilliant race and technically superb. She looked great. Her, te- her technique was fantastic especially in skating and, and classic and skied away from the field she had a tiny gap of what like 10 meters at the exchange then just started charging and that was the end it was game over and 
it's it just like I almost I mean Kristen's my wife is a really good friend of Teresa so everyone listening just that's why it, I know the whole backstory of how this whole thing went and we talked about it a bit with like the COVID scares in the Norwegian team and there's two Norwegian athletes that are out Norway couldn't even field a full team at at in this event because two of their women aren't there um so a lot of stress and she just she handled it like such a champ I I, I mean I was, I was really moved. I was really moved by that performance. And that's what separates the greatest, like some of the greatest of all time and just good athletes. I, I thought it was, it, it was something to behold. She, she, she was well-prepared and she crushed everyone. You know, like um, one of the things, uh, Pete Vordenberg, a long time uh, U.S. coach and former Olympic athlete um, would always sort of talk about championship events and, and qualifying events and loving it when people perform. And I felt like, you know, like Teresa, like any, any, you almost feel like anything less than today than she did today would have been like, somehow she kind of came up short in this sort of peak event for her. And it just felt like, you know, like she came knowing what she needed to do and she did it and watching an athlete as good and as pro and as seasoned and just as talented as her put on a performance like that. It's like, it's cool to watch. And it, you know, for it feels like, you know, everyone kind of knows her saga, but it, you know, came up today in the press conference, having, having to miss 2018 with the, with the, you know, doping issue and, and, you know, getting to watch her kind of fulfill that, but, you know, like you said, eight years is a long time. Yeah, totally. And like you said, and this is what's funny, like we get so spoiled in cross country skiing, just like people that follow basketball, they just expect, you know, LeBron to go do the triple double and smash down like 30 points every single NBA game. And when the pressure's on, you're still going to crush and have 30 points plus every single game. And yeah, most of the time they do. But this is an immense performance we saw. And like you said, like Pete was saying, I I agree with that totally. It's, we should not take these performances for granted when you're the favorite it's insanely hard to deliver when the pressure's on and case in point Frida Carlson Frida Carlson's having the best season of her life she's young she's incredibly talented she is a championship super boss normally and today looked great in the classic like finally positioning herself better she wasn't wasting energy like she's done in the past it seemed like tactically she was doing things right the beginning of the skate looked okay and then the wheels came off man and there was a lot of pressure on Frida Carlson too she's over she's 10 years younger than Teresa or 11 years younger than Teresa and like was it pressure that got to her or what is it just a bad day or did she go out a little too hot and take not take the altitude for granted like where Teresa has like you said that that veteran status where she's just used to it or not used to it but she knows what it feels like to have those types of performances at high altitude Who, who's to know Who's to know? But the fact of the matter is when that group of Niskanen, um, Niskanen, Nepreva and Teresa Stadlober came back to Frida Carlson later in that skate leg of the, of the skiathlon, like I was, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, what, what's going on? Cause she also didn't look that bad to me. Like it didn't look like she was coming completely undone. And, and yet at the end, she had nothing left, like absolutely nothing left. She was totally empty. And who would have thought, that someone with such good sprint capabilities too. Like people forget that like Frida's fast, you know, and she comes up fifth. She's last in that group and essentially like doesn't, doesn't factor into the sprint even. I mean, she's seven seconds or six seconds behind Kirtuniskanen who is fourth. And these, these are the kind of surprises that happen at big championships and especially with 
all these variables that are happening here in Beijing. Like it's high, it's windy, shit's super weird with COVID restrictions, travel, you're way over in Asia. Everyone's stressed to the nines because they're getting like jammed with, with cute, like not Q-tips, but like medical Q-tips essentially up your nose and throat. And like, it's just, this isn't, yeah, it, it's not, it's, there's a lot of pressure on these athletes. And I really felt for Frida because I thought that she put, she, she, piece, she wasn't going to win. That was obvious when the skate leg started, that, that it was done. Teresa was in a league by herself after one kilometer of the skate. But Frida looked good enough to secure a silver medal, and she and to see that she was off the podium that surprised me. I don't know, did that surprise you? I mean, sort of. I feel like yes, but only to the point where you know. I mean, I, I think we saw earlier in the season like Frida was racing at Yohog's level, and I think sort of when you saw Yo, like it was clear sort of as soon as. Yohog started putting the pressure on at the end of the classic leg that like, you know, she was going to be gone and that, and that Frida Carlson just was not, you know, whether that was Therese Yohog elevating her fitness or, or Frida Carlson kind of having some kind of issue or whatever. It just, it just sort of felt like, you know, once, once it was clear that, that Carlson was not going to be skiing with Yohog, it kind of felt like, okay, like the, the, this, the rest of this race is up for grabs and, and, and it was, and, you know, I mean, I got, I feel like we got to, tip our hats or whatever you're going to do, uh, you know, brush out your Sarah F for, um, for Stadlober. Like how awesome oh. is it to see her nailing that bronze medal for Austria after, you know, pretty rough, like time in the dark ages for Austria. I'm sure you have much more totally. to say about this than me. Totally. And this is what I was going to spend a lot of time with. Teresa Stadlober left me like I had goosebumps. It was a beautiful performance fantastic performance and here's the thing like i'm a, i'm a nordic super dork right so you got that from last time the last podcast with alex and i talking like we know the results we like talk about them all the time the stats you know like we're dorks and and here's this thing i'm going to give you a stat that is really fun so when that group came back to frida carlson you had frida carlson that medals in all these distance races championships even though she's young but stadlober in pyeongchang in the 30k there is 100% chance she was going to medal. She went the wrong way at an Olympic Games. The only person I've ever heard of that has gone the wrong way at Olympic Games is yours truly, Devin Kershaw, in the 15K skate in Pyeongchang. When I went the wrong way and I had to backtrack and ski 600 extra meters, doesn't matter. I was like 70-something. It was a disaster. But but I've only ever heard of myself going the wrong way in an Olympic race. Stadlober did it not once but twice in, in Pyeongchang and ended up ninth in a race that she should have been on the podium it was heartbreaking to watch then coming into these olympics dude she had pcr trouble she had negative tests negative tests and then she randomly tested positive like the week before she was supposed to travel she's supposed to travel on a saturday the saturday like a week before a week ago and she had to delay her travel because she had like negative test negative test then some random positive test no symptoms felt great and then the next day negative next day negative but it delayed her her travel so she was not able to fly to China until Wednesday. So she hasn't been here that long, which is crazy. And the stress, like this is what people don't understand that are sitting on our butts watching this. Like these athletes are under immense pressure and stress. And obviously she's been feeling good in her training and stuff. And now you have this rogue random positive that delays your travel. You're asking all these questions. She delivered an absolutely phenomenal race and 
world junior champion 2013 been a part of the austrian program of course she's kind of on her own thing like that's how austria works the so she's not a member of like if people are watching this performance and going like well hey max hauk and Baldoff and all these guys blood doping and stuff Teresa Stadlober has never been involved with this. She didn't train with those guys. She had different coaches. She, it was, she wasn't involved whatsoever with those, with those men. So I, I take this performance as a clean performance. I do. She was really outspoken when that happened. She was disgusted. Of course, it affects her career. That's a lot of pressure too and stress. She comes in here last year. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the skiathlon from Oberstdorf? Probably not because you were like working. Stadlober was fourth, Okay. <laughs> Stadlober was fourth in this skiathlon, but she was 41 seconds from bronze. So she wasn't close to the, to the medals, but she was fourth in the skiathlon in Oberstdorf last year. Neprieva, fourth in the Olympic sprint in 2018. No, like no individual Olympic medals for Neprieva. She was fourth in the Olympic sprint in 2018. Kirtu Niskanen, fourth in the 30K that my wife was third in in Sochi. So for the fight for medals, all those women had no inner, like no individual Olympic medals, all have individual fourth places at championships. So pressure was on Stadlober on paper has the worst sprint. Doesn't matter, man. She closes amazing. She looked like she was going to come back to Neptaeva too. She was so close to Neptaeva. I know. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like so, if there was another. So like, and so I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful performance. Yeah, there's another 15 Sorry. meters. Maybe she's second. Yeah. So amazing for Nep and, and Nep, they have a two man. I got to not just tip my hat, like, come on. Like, it was a masterful performance by Neprieva. She looked like she was like in trouble once in a while and never really was. She knew on paper, she, her and Frida Carlson were the fastest in the, in the sprint finish like that. And in the end, Frida fell apart a little bit, uh, ran out of gas, not fell apart. She didn't fall apart, but she ran out of gas. And Nepdeva, second place. What a season Nepdeva is having, hey? Like Tour de Ski champion and doing it in good style. And then coming here in the first race of the championship, totally super solid racing, secures a silver medal. This is going to be a great championship for the Russian women. And it's kind of cool to see because the Russian women have also been kind of nowhere at, at the Olympic Games individually for a long, long time. And then they they have like scandals too in their past in their closet like i was talking about the austrian men in 2019 with the blood doping scandal plus plus all the mess of austrian men like hoffman and like the whole the whole crew back in the days um you know russia it's like 2002 was they they didn't show up for the relay start because lazutina and they all got busted for doping there in salt lake city so so there's a lot of skeletons in the closet. And for Nepdieva to put down a performance like she did today, man, I, I tip my hat. I'm looking forward to the women's relay already. It's going to be awesome. A little bit, little bit sad for the Finnish team to have both Niskanen and Parmakoski in there. And I, I mean, I, man, I was, I, I was kind of rooting for um, Niskanen a little bit because I feel like, you know, she's always kind of like second, second fiddle to Parmakoski and, you know, looked really good in that classic leg, but you kind of know like the writings on the wall. Cause I feel like Niskanen is always just at least somewhat better in, in the classic technique. So just kind of tough to watch those guys not quite be able to squeak in there, but also, you know, seems like their fitness is going to be, you know, leave them pretty good contention for the rest of the championships here too. So. Totally. And the other thing too, with Niskanen is like, I don't know if you noticed it, but the Finnish skis are always good when it's cold, dude, always. The Finnish skis were so good today. They were better than Teresa's skis. Like they had amazing equipment. 
And Niskanen in a skiathlon to be fourth. It's been a long time since she's been so good in both techniques. And what's the next individual distance race that's coming up? 10K Classic. She's got a win this year in a 10K Classic. This is this is going to be this is going to be fun. And I agree with you. I thought and and Parmakowski too has struggled the last couple of years and started coming back a bit at the Tour de Ski. Looked good, better, and now like she looks she looks good. So I I thought. I thought it was super fun. We got to get right to the Americans. Uh, Jesse Diggins. Okay. I'm, I, there's two things. I don't know if I want to start with like the bummer or the positive, but maybe I'll, I'm going to start with the positive and then just kind of go to the bummer. Like her skate leg, her fight, her, her, her like her lion's heart, lioness's heart. Like <laughs> it was, it was impressive to see how she was skating, how she was digging, how she was, always believing she she was charging it was a it was a master performance she had faster time to skate like than Teresa. not that not that matters anything because Teresa's is getting all the information out there saying that like you're winning by 40 seconds Teresa knows she's got a whole olympics to do these girls know how to turn it off a little bit like a little bit there so we're not going to read into that too much but it was a it was a absolutely stunning skate performance by by diggins looked great too really good technically and charging that was all positive. What does this mean? It means for the sprint in a couple of days, look out and people that are Diggins fans, like get stoked because she has the fire, she has the belief. And now she's going to take a lot of confidence from a great skate leg. The negative, you know, the classic, like it, it's just tough to watch sometimes when, you know, Diggins is in good shape and technically it just goes sideways. And when it goes sideways for Diggins in classic, like she loses so much time by skiing. Not good enough. And in Olympic games, it's on display, man. Like, I don't know if she was just too nervous or too stressed or, or, or what, but like, I don't know what happened in the classic as far, but what I did notice is like, technically she was not skiing good enough. And sometimes we blame the kick, right? We blame like all the, or the skis aren't fast enough and the kick looked fine to me today. The, the speed of the skis looked fine to me today. It was in the double pole, man. It was in the double pole and the gradual uphill terrain. Diggins was just not skiing at a meddling at the Olympics level technically. And she got totally spanked with that and exploited by the ones that were, and lost way too much time in seven and a half K and that was it. So a lot of positives, but the, the classic technique, man, it's just always a bummer to see that. Honestly, I was, but I was really proud of her for, for finishing off sixth place. I mean, geez, it's a great Olympic start. It's awesome, but tough day to not ski well, technically on gradual terrain. It, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, on the one hand, like, I mean, she finished sixth place like we're not I mean no one's like totally wringing their hands but it is also like when you see a skate leg and clearly like her fitness being that good it it makes you you know totally gives you that feeling of like man if if all of that fitness could be going quite in the right place and I you know I don't want to comment too much on technique because I'm not a coach and you know you you put me on those trails and I'm going to be looking a hell of a lot worse than that but um yeah and you know I mean one thing I could say from my um, minimal firsthand insights being offered here are, um, you, you know, it was interesting, like Jesse, uh, I think spent some time with NBC and then kind of came to our second tier, non-billions of dollars paying media stand and kind of just 
walked past us, yeah. kept going. And well, and, and that's, that's sort of what we, what I thought, what we thought. And I, I don't know if she just missed us and, but we kind of yelled at them and she came back and, and what I yeah. thought, you know, what I, what I thought were, you know, I, my impression was that, you know, she was pretty bummed, not satisfied with that result. And she kind of came back and actually seemed to be in a pretty kind of cheerful mood, you know, was very positive in her comments about the race kind of saying, you know, she felt really encouraged, um, particularly kind of by the skate leg and that, you know, felt like it was a good result to build on. So, you know, for, for really? folks that are just kind of wondering where she was at, I mean, I think it seemed like she was, you know, definitely seemed like she was also kind of talking to herself a little bit, but, but was not, certainly was not in a place where she was, you know, crushed or sad or devastated by any means. So, um, you know, definitely more from her. And then I actually didn't hear from Rosie Brennan, but, you know, fun to see Rosie kind of at the sharp end of that race. You know, I, we, I did talk to Matt Wickham, the, the head coach of the U S men who, you know, was saying Rosie could have skied to 14th and done it in a much easier fashion with a, you know, paced start and a building into the race, but the, you know, Rosie was not skiing for 14th place today. Rosie was skiing for a, you know, a Olympic podium, which, you know, that's, you, you got to give it to her that, you know, she's not trying to just sort of negative split in an Olympic championship race. So I don't totally. know. That's what I I love, yeah, I know, but that's, that's great insight. And I think like for Rosie, good honor for trying. Good honor for trying. She looked good uh, in the opposite of Diggins in classic. Rosie looked good in classic. Her technique was on point. Her angles were in the right place. She was charging and she didn't have the body today to, to make it all the way through. She didn't, she fell apart pretty substantially in the skate side of things. But when you push it hard and you, you go over that red line at altitude, especially the first race of a championship, she hasn't raced internationally since Davos. So, you know, this is, you, you got to expect that this is going to be a bit like a bit rusty. It could be, it can be rusty. Of course, Teresa wasn't rusty whatsoever. So it's different for each person individually. But, but the fact of the matter is, I, I think it's encouraging to see Rosie try like that, even though it was, of course, she's going to be disappointed to be 14th. But what I will say is Ragnar Haga, who crushed and won the 10 K skate in Pyeongchang, by over 20 seconds or by around 20 seconds, I think it was over 20 seconds over Mark Bjergen, the best skier that ever lived who ended up third in that race. But anyways, she was 15th in the skiathlon in Pyeongchang. So Rosie Brennan, Rosie Brennan fans, people that are Rosie Brennan fans and see 14th. And there is, there is positives in that race. And this is a long championship. There's lots of racing left to do. Rosie is a threat in a lot of these races. It's, it's not all is not lost. And for Diggins, good on Diggins for being positive like that and taking the positives. Cause I'm serious. Like there was only today in the skate side of the thing, there was only one athlete that was as good or, or she was better is Teresa in the skate side. So what do we have coming up? We have a skate sprint. She's heavily, Jesse Diggins is heavily favored to take a medal in the skate sprint. And then the relay so wide open, you got Russia, you have Sweden, you have Finland, you have, the U S and then like Norway, like, eesh, I don't know, man, like Foss's home. Yeah. I was encouraging that she wasn't like 35th. Like she was at the tour and stuff, but she's 18th. She didn't look good. No, she did not look good. And 18th is not where you see uh, such a promising junior that she's been. And, and Haga just had nothing at all and was classicking poorly and was skating poorly back in 29. So the women's team for, for Norway, aside from Teresa, it's uh, 
it's nerve wracking. And I, I don't think they're going to be on the podium if this is the kind of performances they're going to have for the relay. I do want to say one thing. And I, I don't know if you got to talk to any of them. I am so proud of the Canadian women today. It was, these were three fantastic performances for the Canadian women. You have Sandrine in 20th. That, in the Olympic Games, this was a beautiful performance. And for these women that are that have been like kind of up against some challenging things with the Federation, you know, feeling like at times in the last quadrennial that at times they're, they're not, they don't believe, the Federation doesn't believe in them. And, you know, it, it's kind of like been an uphill fight for them. 20th, 23rd, 28th in Olympic Games, in the first race of the Olympic Games, they, they, they put all their eggs in this Olympic championship. They weren't at the Tour de Ski. They had a rough outing in period one, all of them. And to show up and deliver solid results to start this off, this is, this is good. And I hope it inspires the younger Canadian women, the juniors and the young seniors that are seeing these performances. I hope these women stick with skiing. They can be great mentors for the next generation in Canada. And these, the names that these people are, are beating are, and right around, like Kala's the reigning Olympic champion. I know she's a there's should been in the race but but she's 19th and, and Sandrine's just behind her and then Catherine Stewart Jones beats Stupak she beats she beats uh Haga like there's big names that are that are behind her so I had one question but I'm sure it's just because she's focusing on other things is Laura Leclerc from Quebec um she's a young athlete and she didn't start today and Olivia Buford Nesbitt started who has got in on um uh, she was like the last girl to get the spot because they had to do real reallocation of spots. So she didn't, she, she was, the, she was the first reserve. And then when they reallocated with the quota spots, she got a start. So I was a little surprised not to see Laura in, in the skiathlon, if I'm being totally honest with you, um, that they gave the start to Olivia and Olivia had a tough outing. There's no question. It was, uh, it was a really, really tough outing and just a forgettable race all around when you're six minutes back in, in an Olympic race like that. It's a, oof, it's a, it's a tough adjustment to reality, but you know what? That's that's the game, and you got to roll with the tough race and roll with the punches, and you still get a chance. Same with Haley Swerble, right? Like I thought Haley would be a lot stronger today. I really did in altitude and, and with the courses as they were. But you know, it just wasn't to be, and and, and well, that happens and, sometimes. So I hope they bounce back. Yeah, I mean, I also just think that it's like you know, I mean, you would know this better than me, but you know, as a guy sort of standing out there in literally four jackets and two pairs of pants and long underwear like watching these gusts just like shake everything out there it's a tough day to not sort of be racing with like a group and you know if you lose contact you're just like you're you're getting baffled around and you know i think it's that just sort of makes the experience of not having your best day that much more miserable so totally absolutely and then you lose belief and then like you're kind of like you're not as sharp as you need to be and then it's kind of like i'm fighting for what like 40th or 43rd like it's the same and you're you're like you're over five minutes down i mean it's what are you fighting for at that point there's other races and it's it's hard to to stay focused and try and like get out your best performance you know you're not even close to your best performance so you're absolutely right and 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 I, i tip my hat to even though that's a, yeah, to everyone that's, that they raised the, the conditions are challenging. Cause I did want to ask you about this, the course, I'm sorry. It's a snooze fest. 
like, I don't know if it's just the terrain they're working with or, you know, cause it is like a high desert and there's no natural snow and you can tell that the snow is just so slow. Like, I mean, just has no life to it whatsoever. Uh, anyone that skied in minus 25 in Alaska or, or Canmore when it hasn't snowed in like five weeks and it's just that styrofoam dead feeling, it's, it's not that fun. So of course that it doesn't make it look as good when, when you have those conditions, but I don't know, man, like I, when you come from the races in like Oberstdorf, you know what I mean? Or like these classic, uh, stadiums that have like rich history in cross-country skiing, Oberstdorf, uh, Oslo, of course, and some other just like real, like even Falun, you know what I mean? Which isn't the most exciting course to watch on TV either, but Lati is a great course to watch on TV. There's a lot of action. There's like a lot of corners, a lot of stuff happening in the race. And, and I felt myself today while I was excited that the Olympics started, I can't believe they happened with the disaster that has been COVID and everything. I found myself like trying to analyze the course going like, Oh my God, this course is a bore. Well, it's such you know, a bore. I mean, what, <clears throat> what I would sort of add from the personal observation, I guess is, I mean, it, the setting of it, I mean, it, it's, it's a little weird. It is this kind of like step feel of like kind of open grassland, like sort of tundra. Um, it, it all, it like folks were describing it yesterday as sort of like soldier hollow with wind, um, which I, which I think is, is kind of apt, I, but to me, like the thing that really kind of comes across is like, I mean, I think like this place where these games are happening like it's super interesting there's like clearly like culture and history like the great wall is yeah, apparently running crazy. yeah it, it's running like literally like through the race venue but it, it and and so there there it, it feels like there is soul in this place but it feels like there is no soul in this venue it just is sort of like you know you got some dudes like in a room who are professional ski trail designers and they kind of plotted it out but like you know there's you know and, and no knock on china it's just like the way it is oh. like there's no history of skiing it's like no one was you know skiing up this valley and you know curled around in this way and so i you know it just like it feels like a little bit artificial and and designed in in a way where you're just sort of like you know, it, it kind of feels like even though you are in China and it does have this like culture and soul it, like around, it also kind of just feels like you could be anywhere and there isn't really anything to distinguish it like you're saying. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I think it's cool that that we're having ski events in China. And I mean, like there is a huge market here. There are just so many people that could be skiers here that I, I think it's cool that folks are getting exposed. But I also just, you know, it feels a little... It, it just it, there's there's something about it that, that you know I, I agree it just it feels a little off it doesn't you know there's no like Mortarbachen there's no Hermodes Hill there's no Frogner Cetrin like uh, you know in in Oslo yeah. on that course like it's just sort of like what is there and it's and, yeah. and even the stadium you're just sort of like it's like all this kind of stuff that like this and the Olympics just like brought and dropped down and you, you could do the same thing anywhere else, which, you know, I don't know, it's pluses and minuses. And to me, that's like, it's not necessarily a selling point. No, no, for sure. And like, like, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna lie. Like Pyeongchang was the same. I mean, Pyeongchang's course was a lifeless, soulless piece of shit. Like, I mean, like the sprint course wasn't 
the sprint course was awesome in Pyeongchang. So I'm looking forward to seeing the sprints, but the distance courses in Pyeongchang, you just went out into the back 40 on some like golf getting blown around with crazy wind and cold and like just a, just like a soulless. Yeah. Like it could be a Roski track in wherever, like it's just not exciting. The course design was lame and, and Pyeongchang, oh, sorry. And, and Beijing, I have to say it's tough to, like you said, there's no fans cause they're not allowed. Like, it's really cool that we're getting the Olympics off at all. So you, you always have to put like that in, in perspective. And I'm not saying, and I, and I agree with you, the pictures with a great wall in the background and even, even those Hills, like not the Hills, the mountains in the background, even though there's no snow. Yeah, for sure. It reminds me, it reminds me a lot of like of Utah. It's kind of, it's beautiful in its own way. Like the ribbon of snow yeah. through it's, it is beautiful, but I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the nature. I'm not talking about anything. I'm talking about, like you said, the, cross-country skiers that design the course like the course designers you know that that's not china that's designing the courses that's like people that have designed race courses in the past they've designed on the distance side of things a soulless lifeless like bore none of the downhills no man none of the downhills have any excitement in life in them there was a couple crashes today but that was mostly because you know people were positioning themselves really tightly and it's a lot of stress right before the first races but so the distance courses on race one, I'm sorry. They're, I, th I think they're, I think they're, I'm not going to say poorly designed. I just think they're boringly designed. Like, like there's nothing, there's no marquee. Like you said, there's no marquee anything on that course. It's all just kind of like, but it's almost like they're too well designed. You know, it's like they, they design them in a way to like, just make the races happen. And I don't know. Yeah. Um, what else uh what else do we need to talk about you know what man i think you need to just like get some food <laughs> relax because you got a men's 30k which is going to be probably not as exciting to be perfectly honest because from what i saw today and how things are playing out if it's not just if it's not just norway and russia wiping the floor with the competition and making it like most of the other men's distance races this year like a total snooze I'll be surprised, but still you got to be out there. You got to be standing in that wind again and you got to be just be like watching. So I'll let you uh, get on with your day. And, um, but I am excited to see Evo Niskanen tomorrow that I am excited after seeing his sister put forth a great performance in the skis, man. I didn't think I'd see differences in skis today because it's cold, dry, but the fins here too. And, uh, and, Parmakowski had the best boards in the field and they're on Matthews and Fisher. So they weren't even on the same brand. So if Evo has skis like that tomorrow, it, it, uh, it could be, it could be exciting. Although I'm just expecting Russia and Norway to just crush everything. And it'll be a bit boring. I'm not going to lie. It, it'd be fun if we got a double uh, Niskan and gold medal in like the individual start races later in the game. I'm just going to throw that out there. And I, and I do want to just add, actually, I mean, it is, uh, it is 930, 9.20 local time. I have eaten dinner. I had a, a Caesar salad, which actually was pretty good. And my second helping of um, uh, beef noodles, which are like a little sketchy, but also not bad at the prices, right? The, the challenge today, um, and this is not going to be, this is not that interesting, but I, I just, I do want to put it out there was that um, I have a photographer credential, which is, you know, allows you to get out on the course if you have a non-photographer journalist credential, you cannot go out on a horse and you're basically just like watching the race from the stadium kind of on the TV and you're just sort of like, why am I here? 
Um, but then they they are limiting because of COVID. They were like, we're only going to allow so many reporters in the mix zone. And so, like, even though there are more reporters here that want to talk to athletes, you you can't like you have to just like stand elsewhere and you can't like where you can't listen. And it was like, uh, and then they were like, because you have a photography credential, you can't be in the mix zone. And I was like, well, so should I just like fly back home to Alaska? Because I like, what is the point of being here if I can't talk to the athletes? And um, burned like six hours, like taking the high speed train, which we could talk another time about. Cause that was pretty life changing, uh, down to Beijing, picking up this photo credential, uh, bib coming back and then being told like, yep, nope, you're out. And then they were also like, yeah, you can't go to the photo position because, uh, you missed the window. So it's like, you know, there's just, there's always a, there's a learning curve at the Olympics. And today was the like, uh, part of the learning curve where, um, you know, I, I was the six minutes back, uh, in the, in the, 15K, <laughs> in the uh, journalist, in the journalist, uh, yeah. queue. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. But, yeah. You know, but, but, but amazing that you're there. And I mean, I think it's, I think it's awesome that faster skier is, um, wants to have a man on the ground or a woman on the ground. And I think uh, it's cool that you took the opportunity to go, but I, I don't envy you. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I don't envy you. I, 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 I was supposed to do, or I was offered to do some work in Beijing too. And I was actually pretty bummed that it couldn't work out because of my old school, old Europe uh, university to go to, which is probably for the best, but either way, it was like a resounding, like, hell's no, you get like, it's not going to happen. I'm like, okay. Um, but now that I'm sitting at home and watching and remembering, I mean, I've been to four Olympics. I know how just annoyingly bureaucratic and administrative it is. And it just a lot of part, a lot of it just is an energy suck. I, I don't envy you, I, I must say. So good on you. Well, good on you for I, trying. I do. I do. I, sorry. I'm, I, I know I'm the one who needs to go to bed here, but I actually do want to say one other thing about that, which is the thing that I find mo have found most interesting sort of, I think I'm 36 hours in here is, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, the people in PPE, like the kind of crazy dystopian um, contagion vibe, like, you know, of, of, of this whole situation. But I got to say, you know, today I like got on a bus to a venue. It's like packed with people. Right. And you're like anywhere else in the world right now, you know, we'd all be done. We'd be out in, in, in six days, the entire Olympic sort of situation would be infected with COVID. We'd all be kind of on lockdown. And the only reason this works is because China is like, you know, completely freaking yeah. draconian about it. And um, you know, for better or worse, I don't want to, I'm not making any judgments here. Anytime you make any kind of judgment about China, people either think you're a communist or they think you're like, a, yeah. you know, whatever, but it, it's like, and, and the other thing about it is that, you know, there's all this discussion where people are like, oh, well, you know, it's terrible. You're in the bubble. You can't talk to the Chinese populace. And it's like, you know what? I've been to two Olympics, like the amount of time you spend, not like passed out or at the venue yeah. like dialing it in on your laptop and waiting for people to come through the mix zone it's like nobody does that anyway so honestly like after the first day of like dealing with the crazy airport mess and like being locked in your room waiting for your covid result it kind of feels like any other olympics with masks. Yeah, that's good that's and, good to hear no, that's, that's good to it. hear that's good to hear and like you know what the fact that the ioc decided to like push this through like jam this thing through uh, good on China for, for creating this so far. And I cross their fingers for the athletes, the volunteers, for everybody that it works. I, I hope it works for China and, and, um, you know, like what they've accomplished so far and we just started, but already, already yep. it's impressive as hell. I agree with you. So, you know, and this is, this is just the times we live in, like, what are you going to do? I mean, it, it's, 
it, it people forget like i know i know that who knows how volunteer the volunteers are but like from what i've heard of friends there that are there and what, what are the pictures i've seen in the news media everyone says like most olympics it's incredible the volunteers are positive they're psyched they're there to help you and yeah okay right now in covid people are full ppe and it looks like a hazmat like we're in chernobyl or something but but the fact of the matter is it could be easy for those volunteers or those people helping out to just like lose morale completely. And then it really starts to feel dystopic and it hasn't been that. And I am so impressed with the Chinese people that are helping out with these Olympics that the actual people on the ground that are making this whole thing work. I think they get kind of forgotten in, in these Olympic hullabaloo every and, time. And they're, every and they're, and they're like time. standing out there, like you know they're they're folks like i'm out there in like five layers like fully kitted up like barely comfortable these guys are like in their kind of like standard issue like olympic raincoat like clearly and and like you know not even able to like run around in a full face shield like you walk past them and it's like frosted in and you're just like jesus but i mean totally right like the attitudes i mean it's nothing but sort of generosity friendliness and you know again i don't want to like paper over all the other pretty messed up stuff that no, is no, happening in china just, but it's like here. let's just stay in the olympics right here and now like we're not yeah like this podcast isn't you know this isn't bbc hard talk or something this is like we're just talking <laughs> mad shit about the ski races and i think the volunteers at all these international events kind of get forgotten and and the volunteers and the people that are helping out to make this whole thing happen in china they are up against like just epic conditions and that they're doing it with a smile under those masks and you can see the smile lines on the eyes and i just clap i'm just i'm yeah yeah good for them and good to yeah amazing cool okay well yeah you want to should we leave it at that um let's leave it at that get some rest and we'll we'll talk tomorrow okay thanks dude i'll catch you later yeah bye bye thanks for sticking with us we'll be back 